series it's on the front of your bulletins it's kind of going week by week uh, day by day through the last week of uh, Jesus's life we're, we're taking every day uh, from the start which was Palm Sunday we talked about that last week uh, through Easter which will end up being on Easter we timed it out just right and uh, we're gonna just walk through the last week or it's called the Holy Week or the Passion Week of our Savior Jesus Christ and the things that happened not all of them but but things that happen on each subsequent day of that week. Last week we talked about his triumphal entry. We learned some things. That when Jesus was about to come into the city on that Passover uh, uh, festival celebration, uh, he asked his friends to go get him a a donkey's colt. Uh, It was all in accordance with what Zechariah had prophesied. He was very intentional. He said, hey, make sure you get this for me. We talked last week about how Jesus wants to be intentional in our lives too. If we follow him, we got to know that he wants to move us uh, and, and, and use us to glorify himself in the lives of other people and in the world that we live in. And so we need to be ready to hear him and to respond to him. I pray you had a good week uh, sensing his leading and following him in it. Uh, we talked also about the fact that, man, this was a, this was a party of, of, of no peer. This was, this was people throwing their coats and waving palm fronds and getting just all jiggy with it. Um, that was terrible. That was Fresh Prince from like 20 years ago. Anyway, uh, but the, they, they just went nuts, and, uh, and they made this huge fuss, and worthy, worthily so, they, they, they should have made a fuss. We should make a fuss. We talked about that, that every day we should wake up to a Palm Sunday of celebration of who Jesus is. Every time we get in here, we shouldn't have to wait for that once-a-year occurrence of Palm Sunday. It should just be the norm. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, get fussed out about it. He's the greatest thing that ever happened to us. Can I get an amen in the room this morning? He is the greatest thing that's ever happened to anybody. And uh, he is worthy of our praise. So I, I pray that we uh, go uh, from this place into this next week uh, excited about our Savior and excited about what he's done for us. We also talked about the fact, though, uh, that in a conversation that came at the end of his great day walking into the city, uh, he was supposed to talk with some Greeks who had petitioned Philip and Andrew, some of his followers, to have an audience with him. And he, he ends up not talking to them at all and saying some things that were... Uh, well, really poignant, really important for those of us who follow him. He says that unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground, it dies alone. Uh, but if it goes into the ground and it flourishes and grows up, then uh, there's, a, there's fruit, there's a, there's a produce that comes from that uh, that, that can, has no compare. And he was talking about himself. He was saying, listen, unless I die, then I'm going to go back to my father's house alone. My death is the requirement for your sins so that you can be forgiven and reconciled to God. And, and we talked about how that has to happen in us. He, he, uh, in, in a previous conversation with his disciples, says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Die. Die to yourself. Uh, Jesus was radical. He didn't want to just kind of have a part of you or me. He didn't want to just kind of sidle up next to us in life. He wanted to dominate us, to rule us, to live his life through us. And this is what those of us who follow him are, should be seeking, and hopefully are seeking as part of this church, is to just surrender to him, to die to ourselves, and to be in step with his will. So that's what I'm praying happens every week I get up here, that as we study his word, uh, we go deeper and deeper into our surrender of him. Today we're going to talk about uh, what happened on Monday of this week. 
And uh, we're going to find out what matters to Jesus. Hopefully every week you come in here uh, and you hear me preach, whether it's from the Old Testament or the New Testament, you hear me talk about the things that matter to Jesus or to matter to God the Father, things that matter if we're going to follow him. And uh, certainly there are things in our lives that matter. Like everybody's got preferences. Like anybody here get stuff on your pizza that other people don't like? In my house we always have to get two because I want the thing to be full of God's creatures. I want all the meat that I can get on that thing, right? Yeah, right? Just bury me in it. Just so, Sorry if you're a vegan out there. I love you. But if God didn't want us to eat animals, he shouldn't have made them out of meat. Is anybody with me? That, that's just me. That's my opinion. Uh, but others in my family don't like that at all. And then my mom, when I was growing up at my mom's house, they put all the vegetables. Peppers on a pizza? Oh, my gosh. Make me gag. What is that? So we have preferences, and it goes into the more, the more trivial matters of life. But then we have passions, the things that matter to us most, the things that dictate our calendars and our, our spending. and our I mean, that, that's, that's what we give our lives to, what matters to us most. Now, turn to turn someone next to you just tell them what matters most in your life, just a few things. Turn someone next to you, just here's what matters to me most. Go ahead. I pray for the sake of your lunch, fellas, that if you talk to your wife, you included her somewhere in that list. <laughs> Anybody say family? Anybody throw family in there? Good. We're in church. Anybody say God? Oh, three of you. Way to go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm glad I'm preaching right now. All right. Uh, I thought that was the softball answer for everybody in here. Uh, uh, what, what other things do you say? Family, God, what other things? Anybody want to throw one out? Gardening. Wow, cool. That, that is not in mine. All right. So, what? Food. Yeah, the one under the blanket said food. What's up, bro? Sis, I don't know who's under there. Uh, yeah, uh, there's a bunch. Can we agree? There's a bunch. There's things that we give ourselves to that matter to us most. And, and, and what we're going to discover here today in the story of Christ on this Monday is some things that matter to him most. And I'm just going to get to them for the sake of time. Uh, here's the first one. What matters to Jesus most is uh, fruit. Some of you are like, oh, he's vegan. He, he, we just talked about that. No, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's really into us living an authentic, productive, surrendered life. That, that, that's what matters to him most. He wants those who call on his name and who claim to be his disciples to, to bear fruit. Um, now, our, our fruit bearing, or our, when you think about if you're new to the church thing, when Christians talk about fruit, they talk about actions, choices, uh, uh, works, if you want to call them that, things that you do. We don't do them so that God will love us. We do them because God loved us and because God, through Jesus, saved us and reconciled us. And so we, we give our lives over, this surrendered life, uh, to, to honoring God with how we live. And, and this matters to Jesus. Uh, we know because of what we read. Now, just to kind of pick up where we left off last week, Jesus finishes the triumphal entry here in the book of Mark, and uh, it tells us in verse 11 that he goes and takes a peek inside the temple. He actually walked all the way from the Mount of Olives down through the Kidron Valley and up into the Temple Mount, and he actually goes into the temple itself and, and looks around, but it tells us there in verse 11 that it was late and he had to go back to Bethany and maybe the temple was closing for the night. I don't know, but he couldn't hang. And so he leaves having taken a peek, but here's what you got to know. When he looked inside, he did not 
like what he saw. Three years earlier, he had been at Passover in Jerusalem, and he'd been inside the temple. Anybody remember how that turned out? If you don't know, if you've ever heard what we're going to talk about today, that Jesus went into the temple and he wrecked it, he did that actually twice. He did it at the very beginning. In John chapter 2, it tells us right after he uh, basically uh, comes out uh, uh, as the Son of God and, and starts telling everybody that he's the Messiah and he starts doing his first miracles, he turned water into wine at this wedding in Cana. Uh, we see him heading to Jerusalem, and he walks into the temple at that time, three years prior to what we're talking about today, sees everything that's going on. And here's what was going on. The high priest Caiaphas, historically, people attribute the, uh, this, this dastardly deed to him. He had uh, figured out that economically, he, his class, the priest class, and the, and the religious muckety-mucks could prosper uh, by monetizing uh, the festivals, uh, in, in, the, in the Jewish faith, you had to come and give sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem, and most people uh, couldn't uh, either uh, herd an animal or carry an animal all the distance that they had to come, and so uh, they would get to Jerusalem, and they would buy a fitting sacrifice from somebody there, and so uh, they used to buy them outside the temple gates, but then Caiaphas says, hey, we got all this space in here. Let's just bring it inside the walls, and then not only that, let's make it so that you have to get our currency to buy those animals for the required sacrifices of our faith. So if you've ever been in an airport, like where international flights arrive or, or fly out, there's, there's going to be these booths where people from other countries can get American dollars, or if we fly over there, we can get their currency, and you've got these exchange rates. And There's usually a standard exchange rate and then the airport exchange rate, right? Like usually the airport's going to make a little, right? Because uh, they're there. They got you over the barrel, and if you don't know where to get it in town, or you can't have, don't have time to go exchange money, uh, they're going to take their cut from what you would normally do in an exchange. Well, that's what's happened in the temple at this time. You had to buy temple coins to buy temple animals for temple sacrifices. Caiaphas masterminded all this. They start to make their cut. Uh, and what it had turned t- uh, the temple into was, was Sam's Club. It was Walmart. It was just this big, massive, uh, two or three football fields wide market. Uh, where commerce was taking place. So Jesus goes in there three years prior to this story, and he wrecks the joint. One of my favorite stories, I picture him going, you know, he puts the headband on like Rambo movies, you know. And then he just goes in there. I don't know how he does it, but he clears out hundreds, if not thousands of people. I mean, he, 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 he just goes crazy, and, and no one can stop him. He's, he's, he's the son of God. He's, he's going to win that fight, right? But here, the week before he's crucified and rises again, he comes back into the temple and that's what he sees. Same stuff, just like three years ago. And you gotta know that probably the day after the first temple cleansing, people are like, wow, maybe we should really listen to this guy. Maybe, you know, like so many of us, anybody ever gone to a retreat? Anybody ever gone to a, a, a revival or a church service where you're like, wow, maybe I should change some things. And then spiritually you change things until the next Saturday rolls around and then your friends call and they're going to Ebor and you're like, well, that was fun. And then off you go back to whatever you were doing before, right? It's like working out. Anybody start working out on January 1? Anybody still going? Yeah, we have these great ideas. There's initial change, but then things kind of gravitate back to where they were. And that's what Jesus comes into. So uh, make no bones about it. He lays his head on his pillow that, that night of his triumphal entry and um, with all the excitement of the day and all the celebration of him, 
uh, he knows what he has to do the next day. And he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. You want to see? I'll show you right here. Fruit matters to Jesus. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, where he was staying at the Motel 6, not really, he was with friends, but uh, uh, he was hungry. He was hungry. It's breakfast time. He wanted to eat. And uh, so in the distance, he sees a fig tree, a fig tree and leaf. And he went to see if he could find anything on it, i.e. figs. They make great Newtons. I'm sure they're nice for breakfast, right? Uh, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. If you're underlining things in your Bible, underline that phrase, nothing but leaves. Uh, for it was not the season for figs. Now, to be fair to this fig tree, it wasn't harvest time. It wasn't time for figs to be on this tree. Uh, if you grew up in Israel at the time, uh, you were familiar with the seasons that you could pull fruit from date trees and fig trees and uh, vineyards and all that. You, you knew when the time was. And so Jesus probably knew this, but he goes on, and look what he says. He says to this fig tree, that wasn't time for figs. He says to him, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Jesus curses this fig tree. He just puts his spiritual roundup on this fig tree. And he ends this fig, this fig uh, yeah, that thing, the fig tree's fruitfulness. It's not going to bear fruit anymore. It's done. His disciples heard this. And here's what I'm thinking. If I'm the disciples, I've seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. This is like the reverse of what he does. Jesus doesn't kill things. He brings dead things back to life. Right? This, is, this is what people have grown to expect from Jesus. He's a healer. He's a reinvigorator. He's a restorer. I mean, sure, he gets fussed out at the Pharisees. He calls them all kinds of, you know, names, and uh, uh, he's kind of stern with them, but they deserve it. They're the one percenters. We don't like them. But when somebody's meek and mild or, or seemingly innocent, like this fig tree, the fig tree wasn't doing anything. It was just sitting there. It wasn't seasoned for figs. Jesus got all mad at it, and he killed it, judged it. They must have been wondering, oh, don't mess with him today. He, he, this is new. This is not what we expect. But if they'd been paying attention, they could probably connect the dots in Jesus' thinking. If they uh, were, were listening on their journey into Jerusalem just the day before, they would have known that Jesus uh, was moving from the carrot phase of his uh, uh, pursuit of mankind and the pursuit of Israel specifically to the stick phase. Anybody know what I'm talking about, the difference between the carrot and the stick? If you were uh, uh, back in the 1900s and previous to that, and you owned a mule and you wanted the mule to go somewhere, what would you do? You'd put on a long string out in front of it, what? A carrot, right? And mules are not the, you know, dolphins of the horse species. They're not super smart. And so if they think they can reach the carrot, they'll just keep chasing it all day. And that's how you'd get the mule to move. Chase the carrot, chase the carrot. It's a very kind way to make a mule move. But guess what? Some farmers didn't have mules that wanted to move. So you know what they had on their buggy? A big, long stick. And if Morris the mule wasn't going to go for the carrot, guess what he was going to get? The stick until he moved, right? This is a parenting tactic that most of us have used and probably never named. When we go to our children, you know, um, we used to do this with our kids. Hey, you got two choices. You can do X, Y, and Z, which will lead to X, Y, and Z, and it'll be great here in our home and everywhere else. Or you can do ABC, which will lead to ABC, and it'll be horrible. And you're going to really rue the day that you pulled that one, sucker, right? 
The one is the carrot, the other is the stick. And Jesus is switching from one to the other. He's standing outside Jerusalem. This is the account that it tells us in Luke 19 uh, of the triumphal entry. He, he stops, he doesn't say this in the, in the Gospel of Mark, but he stops in here in the account in Luke and he, he sees the city and he weeps over it. There's only two times in Jesus' recorded life that we see him crying. One was over the death of his friend Lazarus, uh, who just, you know, days earlier he had raised from the grave. He was broken over, over the loss of his friend. But here, he weeps over Jerusalem for a different emotion. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he's sad that the children of Abraham, the, the uh, chosen ones of God, had completely missed their Messiah. If you're familiar with the Bible story, here's the deal. Most of the Old Testament uh, historically is pointing to this one who would come and redeem Israel. He's called the Messiah. He was prophesied over and over again in Scripture. And Jesus had been the fulfillment of all those prophecies from his birth up until now. He had just walked through. Even the day before when he, he rode into the city on a colt, it was in fulfillment of the prophecies of this Messiah. And so over and over, he's shown that he is the Son of God. He's the Messiah come. But because he's not doing what people expect him to do, they reject him. That's, that's thankfully never uh, passed on to our day and age. Because, you know, when people come to Jesus now, they give him a free shake, or at least a fair shake. And they don't put all these expectations on him, and unless he does those things, dance for me, monkey boy, uh, unless they do all those things, and he does all those things, they, are you picking up my sarcasm here? We do that to Jesus all the time. We say to Jesus, I'll follow you if you do this for me. I'll follow you if you fulfill this expectation. I'll follow you if you can overcome this question that I have. And that's been the same uh, since his arrival here on the earth. Uh, for three and a half years, he did miracle after miracle, taught in ways that were amazing. And certainly some had chosen to follow him. But many, I mean from the beginning, from the get-go, just rejected his claims as the Messiah. And now he stands looking out over them, symbolically looking at the, the capital of Israel. And then looking specifically at where he was heading. He was going to the temple. And he looks at the representation of the, the faith of Israel and he says, Oh, this makes me so sad. I want to cry. And his, his tears of sadness turn to words of, of anger and judgment. Ready? Here they come. He says, oh, this is the sad part. Oh, would that you, even you, especially you, Israel, would that you had known on this day the things that make for peace. You totally missed me. You totally missed the boat. The Messiah has come and you didn't see it. That's the sad part. Here comes the anger part, ready? But now they are hidden from your eyes. You don't see it. He says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one store upon you or one stone upon another in you, pardon me, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Specifically, you didn't know that I came. You didn't accept me. And so guess what's coming? Ruin. Romans tells us that the wages of sin is what? Death. There's, there's, there's a price that is paid for the rejection of God and his will in our lives. So all of Israel is going to have to reap what they sow. The consequences are coming. And just so you know, historically, this is proven out. In AD 70, uh, 
the Roman Caesar uh, decreed that these upstart Jews who had started to rebel against the Roman uh, presence in the, in the, in the Holy Land, uh, they, they had to be taught a lesson. And so uh, Rome goes in there and the decree goes out, level the city. And when they said level the city back then, they burnt everything. Uh, they started in the temple. Uh, and they just started knocking everything down, burning everything, stealing all the gold and all of the, uh, the precious uh, jewels and, and, and ornate things that were on the walls, taking them as plunders of war. They took, I've been there, I've been to the, 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 the walls uh, or the, the, the temple mount that the temple would have sat on. The Roman soldiers pushed these huge, like as wide as this stage, huge base rocks of the temple and they just shoved them over the side. You can go and see the piles of the Herodian temple that were left when Rome knocked them down. Jesus said, hey, there's a price, there's a cost that comes with unbelief. And so, no wonder the next day he goes up to a fig tree and he says, may you bear fruit no more. Some of you are like, I don't get the correlation. Would it surprise you to know that in the Bible, uh, often when the prophets spoke of Israel, they referred to it as a fig tree? That uh, the fig tree was kind of this national symbol of, of, of Israel itself, and so Jesus wasn't just looking for something to eat and happened to see a fig tree. Uh, he saw a fig tree. Let me teach everybody something here. He walks right up to it, and he curses the fig tree in the same way uh, that the carrot gives way to the stick in the lives of those who constantly play games with who Jesus is meant to be in their lives. You know how that kind of shows up in the modern church? People are churchy and not Christian. Everybody get the difference between the two? Here's the deal. Some of you have gone to church. Anybody here gone to church your whole life? Be willing to admit it. Who's gone to church your whole life? Good on you. Yay God that you've been around this thing for the whole time. You know who's most susceptible to being churchy? The people who've gone to church their whole lives. Why? Because you learn the language. You got the accent down. You know what time to show up? You even knew when the clocks were going to change, and you still made it on time. Way to go. Uh, you know what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to say, and it's really easy. Just kind of hit your marks. Play your role. But Jesus doesn't want actors. He doesn't want, he doesn't want uh, morally pure and upright people alone. That's not his, his desire. The Jews, just so you know, uh, would out-Christian us under the table. They were way more serious about their faith than most Christians ever get to be. <laughs> but that's not what God required. He wanted our hearts. He desired uh, our surrender, not just our behavior. And so Jesus, seeing a nation, Israel, that has rejected his claims of the Messiahship, who have who have just turned uh, what was the law, and it's the intent of the law, which was to show them their need for Jesus or for a Savior. Uh, they've turned that into a bunch of low bars that they can jump over to justify themselves. They got churchy just like we can get churchy. And he says, man, that's not fruit. That's just leaves. Remember he saw the tree and he saw a bunch of leaves? And leaves usually indicate, hey, the fruit's not far behind. But he gets up to the tree, and even though he knows it's not season, he's going to teach a lesson. He's like, ah, oh, all leaves, no fruit. And that's the question I want to ask us today in our lives. Are we all leaves, no fruit? 
We churchy instead of Christian? We just kind of act in the part without really being the part? God doesn't want posers. He doesn't want us just to be acting. And some of you are like, I don't know how much I can get. Listen, don't worry about all the marks that you need to hit and all the things that you need to incorporate in your life. Just start with the surrender. Start with being serious about a Savior who's loved you your whole life and wants to be a part of your life. Surrender your life to him. And he'll bring the fruit. That's how it works. Fruit's not something that we go out and do ourselves. It's something that the Holy Spirit produces in us as we submit ourselves to him. You with me? Jesus told lots of parables on this subject. I'll share one of them with you. It's in Luke chapter 18. Uh, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. They were churchy. They trusted in what they could do to be righteous. And they treated others with contempt because they weren't as good morally as them. He says, two men went up into a temple to pray, into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. Pharisees were the one percenters. They were the religious, you know, uh, muckety-mucks, the higher-ups. And the other was a tax collector who was a zero on the spiritual scale of cool. Just didn't even register. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing many of us, if we're honest about our lives, tax collectors. What's up? Anybody? Yeah. And the Pharisee standing by himself, far from the tax collector, prays this way. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And then he points. How, I mean, what kind of prayer is this? I'm glad I'm not like him. That tax collector. And then he goes into his stats. I love hearing Christians tell me all the great things they've done, like they actually did them. Just so you know, if you do anything great and it's truly great, it's because God did it through you. Can everybody get that through? Yeah, that, that's, that's basically what happens when great things come as a result of us doing something. Jesus did them through us. Pharisee doesn't get that, and sometimes lots of Christians don't get that either. So he starts giving what he thinks are his stats. Here's why I'm righteous. Here's why I'm better than everybody else. I fast twice a week. I'm guessing it was like that hour in between lunch and snack time, right? (laughs) I do that too. But he says, I give tithes of all I get. He basically says, I give a tenth of everything that I have. And then later in the story of Christ, we actually hear him, uh, you know, declaring uh, some woes on the Pharisees. And you find out you guys give a tenth of everything, even your spice rack, the cumin and and the dill and all these things. You guys, sure, you're righteous in all the marks you're supposed to hit, but you don't know mercy. You don't love me. You can have all that behaviorism. I'd rather have you. Well, the tax collector, he comes into the story. He's standing far away. He's like barely in the room, <laughs> right? Like some of you are right now. Like you didn't want it to burn down and you not have an ex- you know, exit because you know that when you got here, the place was going to burn down. Everybody ever had someone tell them, I can't go to church. The place will burn down. So thank you for thinking that you're doing us a favor by sitting close to the door so that if the, you know. But uh, yeah, some of us, you know, we just aren't comfortable here. Tax collector wasn't either. He was in the temple and he's like, this is not a home game. So he's standing off by himself and he doesn't even lift his head up. I mean, he just stares at the ground and he, it says he just beats his, he just smacks himself in lament over who he is. And he just says over and over again, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You want to know what Jesus says? He says, I tell you, this man, this tax collector, he went down to his house from that temple justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself, I'm going to bring him down. But the one who humbles himself, 
that one will be exalted. Yeah. What God hopes from us is this surrender we keep talking about. What God hopes for us is that in that surrender, he can work through us and his fruit can be revealed in us. And so here's my question to you today. Are you all leaves? Keep, I'm not done. Are you all leaves? No fruit? Ask God. Tell you what, let's just pray for a second. Take 30 seconds. Some of you are like, we're going to do this right now? Yeah, we're going to do this right now. Just bow your heads for a second. I want you to ask God that question. Am I all leaves and no fruit? Or are there areas of my life where I'm just a poser, I'm churchy, and there's parts of me that you want given over to you? Ask him what those are. See what he says. And then we'll go on. Jesus moves on from that tree and heads to where he was heading all the time. He heads into the temple. And upon getting there, you can kind of predict what's going to happen if you know the story at all. Uh, he starts working things over. And what we're going to read uh, here is that reverence and people matter to Jesus. Not just fruit, but, but us being reverent towards God. Us esteeming him and putting him in his rightful place. Let it be, let it be Jesus. Let him be first. That's what matters to our Savior. He, he also is going to reveal that people matter to him. And, and we see this. When, when Jesus was asked by a lawyer, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Remember what he said? I say this almost every week. Love the Lord your God and then love others, right? These constantly come up in the teachings and in the actions of Christ. And we're going to see it revealed here as he cleanses the temple a second time. So they come to Jerusalem. Verse 15, and, and he enters the temple and, and he, Mark, just, Mark, just so you know, is the shortest of our Gospels. He, he, he was like the Gospel on Twitter. He only had so many characters, and so he just kind of, you know, get, get, got to the facts, and he just said it straight. And so we don't get a whole lot of detail, but we know that Jesus goes in there. Uh, the first time he went into the temple, he fashioned a, a, a strand of cords into a whip. He doesn't even, I mean, he just, here's what I'm picturing happens. He hits the door, and everybody who was there three years ago goes, run! <laughs> He's back! He, he looks mad, and there's just a bunch of people immediately upon seeing Jesus of Nazareth just bust. They're just gone, right? And everybody who's like, what, who, what? They're the ones who incur the wrath of our Savior. And he enters the temple, and he just begins driving people out. Like, imagine someone coming in here you know, uh, and, and driving us out. Would you remember that Sunday? If he starts coming in here and flipping over, you know, uh, you know, Jesus himself, I, hope, I pray we never deserve that, but if he ever came in here and started flipping over our black chairs and tossing this television, you know, and, and, and just, you know, we don't even stop to get our cars. We just run to Publix and call the cops. I don't know what we're doing, right? <laughs> but can you imagine the scene? Like, try to put yourself in that, in that space. Jesus just goes ballistic and just starts tossing things. He... he, he he comes into the temple, and he, he toss, drives out those who sold. So all the, the store managers, all the guys in the vests from Walmart, they're gone. And, and those who brought in, the, uh, those who bought in the temple, he's, he's, he's getting everybody who's in there buying stuff. you got to go too. And, and then, so that's basically everybody. Is everybody picking that up? And then he overturns the temples or the tables of the money changers. So he goes right to the exchange tables, and he's like, la ga ga and, and, and that's the sound it made, la ga ga and, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. I don't know why he picked on the pigeon guys, but, the, but he went after the pigeon guys. And he just wrecks the place. And, and, and furthermore, once he's got everybody else out, 
Here's what he does. He doesn't let anybody else in. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. So the temple's clear. On the Monday of Passover, temple empties. And then Jesus somehow stands at the door and doesn't let anybody come through. I mean, if this is like happening today, CNN, everybody's there. There is a ruckus inside the temple. Well, let's go live. I mean, it's just, this, this is a happening at the, high, what, the highest week of the Jewish faith. Have you ever seen the temple? Let me show you what it looks like. This is actually a, like a diorama. It's like this, uh, I don't know how big it is. It's probably like 50 yards by 50 yards, but it's, a, it's basically a, a replica of the city at Jesus' time that is sitting outside the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, all right? And so what they did is they tried to recreate what the city would look like then, and, and, the, and the, the center of it all is the temple. The temple is by far the biggest space. If you, if you were in Jerusalem, the temple would have basically been a 35-acre square in the, in the center of town. Uh, it, just to kind of put that in perspective, we're, we're sitting on about 40, 45 acres here on our property. So if you go to the fence over there by the mall, or the, the, the shopping center, and go all the way back to our back fence, the whole thing is temple. I mean, it's big. Don't think like, you know, First Baptist Church of nowhere. Uh, this, this sucker's huge, all right? 40 feet uh, shooting up into the air with, with all this stuff on the top. That's, that's the, the, the court of Israel where the men of Israel could go in, and inside the court of Israel is the Holy of Holies where once a year the high priest would go and, and make sacrifice on uh, Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement for everybody in Israel, okay? So that, that's in there, and that's where the men can go. Here in this kind of front area is the, the court of the women. Sorry, ladies, but in the Jewish faith, you could only go so far into the temple. But you had a very nice space that was all yours, okay? And then, as you get out in these sides, if we can go to the next picture, here on these, I mean, this is like a football field and a half. Uh, on either side of the temple mount, or the center part of the temple, is called the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles was this space uh, where everybody would kind of, you know, funnel into the rest of the, the temple mount. But it was a space where people who were outside of the Jewish faith or the Jewish um, nation uh, could come and, as depicted by God, could always be brought near to the God of Israel. Because if you don't know this about God and the Jews, when God came to Abraham, he said to Abraham, your, your, your descendants are going to be like the sands of the shore, and I'm going to use them to bless all mankind. And most of the time when we think about that, we think about Jesus. Jesus came from the Jews, and he's the Savior of all mankind. But don't stop there, because even in the Old Testament times, God was interested in people who didn't know him outside the Jewish culture or the Jewish religion finding him. And so many people uh, were called proselytes. They would come to, uh, to Jehovah, to Yahweh, uh, and, and where they would often find him was in the temple courts, the Gentiles' courts uh, that were set aside for all the nations to come and hear about the God of Israel. So this is where <laughs> all of the money changes has taken place. That's why I call it Sam's. It was massive. The biggest flea market. It's bigger than a strawberry festival, right? And, uh, and you could buy all your sacrifices and, and do all your business there in the courts, and this is what Jesus clears out. Are you picking up the magnitude of this? It wasn't like our foyer. It was massive. And look what he says. He was teaching them. <laughs> it's a, to me, that's, that always made me giggle. I mean, I don't teach when I'm flipping things over, but I guess he did. So, you know, he's tossing people out and throwing tables, you know, 100 feet across this courtyard. And he says, by the way, I'd like you to learn something. Um, is it not written, 
My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Uh, that is written. Uh, that's in the book of Isaiah. Uh, uh, Isaiah 56. He's quoting it word for word. And it's a, a, a prophet, Isaiah, saying what the purpose of the, the temple is. It's, it's a house of prayer. And not just a house of prayer for the Jews, a house of prayer for how many? For all the nations. And so Jesus comes and cleanses his temple to get those two things that matter to him most back in place in his father's house. What matters to him most? Prayer. Our relationship with God, this plane, right? Us making sure that we're connected to him. What's the thing that matters to him second? The nations, the people. I want this place to be a place of prayer, reverence between me and my father, and a place where the people, all the ones that matter to him, can come and know him and follow him. Now, the temple's changed addresses. Everybody knows that, right? The temple's no longer, well, we can talk about how the temple plays into end time stuff, and I, we don't have time for that. But, but the, the literal temple has taken up a different residence. Anybody know where it is? That's right, bro, right here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have become the temple of God. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians I'm just going to read that and then ask the question if we can do that. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, uh, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, which is the temple. So here's the deal as we kind of close this morning. <clears throat> if we're the temple, is it possible that from time to times, from time to time in the lives that we live, uh, we can kind of let stuff into our temple that isn't supposed to be there? We can start worshiping things and, and uh, uh, giving our time and, and our mindset and our energy to things that, that were never meant to be a part of this body, this temple that God has given us. Now, I'm not just talking about, you know, drugs or alcohol or too much food. Let's not go there, right? But, uh, but I'm talking about just our appetites, our desires, the passions of our lives. They get turned away from the one that this temple is meant to be built for and turn towards the things that have no place in it. I mean, think about it. If the, if the literal temple, the temple that Jesus cleansed, was, was built for prayer and for people, am I, in my life, built for those things? Is the priority of my life, my relationship with God first, and then him using me in the lives of people? It's a good thing to ask. I think from time to time, in my experience, in my relationship with Jesus, he's had to come and, and clean this temple. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because a lot of times I'm grateful. Is anybody here grateful that God starts with grace? Is anybody grateful with that? Like that he dangles the carrot. And you come in here on Sundays and maybe something I say or someone else on this stage says is the thing that you need to hear and it's the thing that God needed to say so that you could get going in this area of life or in this attitude in life or in this relationship in life. And you can start heading towards his plan for those things. And, and all you had to do was show up and sit in the black chair. Yay! Right? And he says the things that he needs to say to you and you go out and by his grace uh, and through his strength you change him and off we go into a better and, and more aligned life with him. Yeah, God. But some of us, we're two by four Christians. And there's certain areas of our lives where the carrot doesn't work. And so out comes the two by four. And he's got to teach us some lessons that uh, some of you, to be honest, are still 
uh, and, and I, can, I can be this way too. You're just still not paying attention. You're still not, and you can't understand why this area of life isn't getting any better or why certain things in your life aren't getting any better. It's because God's up there with a two by four going, hey, bam, bam, bam. Can we figure this out, please, so we can move on? I was a senior in high school. I was Christian E. I was 17. Uh, I'd grown up in the church. My dad was a pastor. I was churchy. Um, my family moved. Uh, they moved from where I would uh, spent the last five years of life establishing myself in adolescence, uh, athletically and friendship-wise and all that stuff in the town that we lived in, northern Maine, uh, to a place in central Illinois. And uh, uh, I didn't want to go. Understandably, I mean, if, if you were moving your family and your kid was going through a senior or about to start a senior year, that'd be a tough, that'd be a tough decision for you, right? But God, you know, told my dad we needed to go, and so we did. And dutifully, I'd moved. This, uh, this was going to be my, uh, uh, my, my ninth school, uh, you know, in the last however long I'd been going to school. It's going to be my 18th house. I was used to moving, and I'd always gone dutifully. I liked it, you know. It's kind of some change. I got... I got hometowns all over the country right now. I can go home to lots of different places because I lived in lots of different places. Military people, you know what I'm talking about, right? You can go all kinds of spots because you were all kinds of spots. But on this particular move, I was like, I don't know, Dad. And then, you know, the few prayers that I uttered at the time, I don't know, God. I mean, I'll try. And I did. For six weeks, I lived in this town. Uh, But at the end of the six weeks, I was a stressed out, migraine-filled, angry 17-year-old. My dad came home from work one day, and uh, I had just gotten off the phone with a friend, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd never unleashed on my dad like this. I was, for the most part, a respectful kid, but I just cussed him one side, down the other, through things. I mean, I was, it was bad. And a week later, I was on a plane heading back to uh, finish my senior year in the town that I'd come from. I stayed with this family that uh, is dear to me still, but uh, it was more just like letting a room. You know, I just kind of had a room in their house. They weren't my parents. And guess what 17-year-olds do when they don't have any more parents? I got busy. And I got busy trying to find out all the things that my parents said were bad. Just how bad were they? We don't need to go into the confession booth and, you know, me say some of our fathers for you or anything like that. But, uh, Suffice it to say, I send my brains out. And uh, uh, I thought I had the world by the tail. Everything was going great. The girl I went back for, I, I, I walked on water. She, she thought I was the best thing ever. My basketball team, I get written up in the paper. It's a long story. But uh, everything that I thought I was going back for was like needles up. Everything was awesome. And then one by one, every one of those things crumbled. Girl went to prom with my best friend. Still want to punch him over that one. (laughs) I may. It's a 30-year reunion this summer. Maybe I'll finally get my shot. (laughs) Take him out. So that didn't work out. The sports and all those things that I, you know, went back for didn't work out. I was lonely. You don't know how much you love your family until they're not there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? My friends, uh, as I got more and more discouraged and depressed, they became less and less a part of my life, I went more and more into the things that weren't productive. I got this, my, my graduation night, and I was a defeated pup. 
And uh, I, I, was, I was a modern prodigal. And it was there that God started this process or progress in my life that's led to me talking to you this morning. And I'm grateful for that stick that was my senior year. Because I'm never standing here apart from it. I'm a two-by-four Christian. <laughs> I need that kind of stuff every once in a while. So, now, may you and I choose to have matter in our lives, the things that matter in God's life. May, may our fruit matter to us. And may we be surrendered so that his fruit can flow through us. But then, <laughs> may reverence to him and the people that he loves, may our love for them grow, because those are the things that matter to Jesus. That's why he trashed the temple. Because reverence was lost and people didn't matter. Now we're going to sing this song, so if you'll stay with me. Uh, Brad's going to come out. We're going to sing that song we sang right before I started preaching to you. A song that says, let it be Jesus. Uh, if I ever am abandoned, if I ever have a claim, if I go through the lows of life, if I go through the highs of life and people extol my name. Uh, in the midst of everything in my life, uh, the Christian's call, the Christian's desire is that Jesus would be first. Uh, that what matters to him would matter to us. And so if you'll just sing these words with me, I don't know if you sang them, you know, in the heart of praise and worship, but I, I pray that as, as we sing them now, you'll sing them in, as a prayer, a prayer that God would become the priority, that Jesus would be first in our lives, and that we would call on him and follow him and surrender him in all things. Let's sing. To me, the Lamb Christ. For me, the Lamb Let it be Jesus, oh, let it be, let it be Jesus. Should I ever be abandoned, should I ever be claimed, should I ever be surrounded by the fire and the flame, well, there's a name I will remember. There's a name I will proclaim, let it be, let it be Jesus, oh let it be, let it be Jesus, for me to live is Christ, for me to live is Christ. Oh, God, I breathe your name above everything. Let it be, let it be, Jesus. Let it be, let it be, Jesus. God, I prayed before I spoke that that would be our cry, our life's desire, that we'd put you first. It's my prayer now. Take us from this place. Uh, help us to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, are we all leaves and no fruit? If there's areas of our life that aren't surrendered to you, God, if there's relationships that we continually uh, 
come to and leave in, in disorder and disarray, if there's, if there's uh, desires in us that are not your desires, Lord, lead us to a life surrendered fully to you so that your fruit can uh, come through us uh, and, and, and make a difference in your world. And then, Lord, uh, take these temples uh, and clean them out. We know that you don't want just to kind of come and, and reside with us in life. You want to overcome us and, and overtake us in every way so that we serve you and you alone, that we die to ourselves and that you're, uh, you're, you're our life, that you're alive in us and alive through us. And so, Lord, uh, take us into the things uh, in our lives that would detract from you and, and our, our focus on you and, and keep us from loving those that you love. Lead us, God into a life of living for what matters to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next time as we continue in the best week ever.